So let me start off with a strange question. If a stranger moved into your house with you still in it, how long do you think it would take before you noticed it? Think of maybe a place in your house where somebody can move in and maybe you don't use it a whole lot and you think, that person may, somebody may be able to get by there for a couple of days. L listen to these stories. 2008, a family in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, became perplexed when Christmas presents started disappearing out from under the Christmas tree. They couldn't figure out what was going on, only to find out in their attic was a piece of paper and a place where somebody had been sleeping and all those Christmas presents, and it said, Stanley Carter's Christmas List. Stanley Carter had been living in their attic for at least 10 days. Ohio State University, 2013, a group of students moved into off-campus housing. They thought the house was haunted because there were some drawers that were open, some doors that were left open, food that would go missing out of the refrigerator. And so they thought that there's got to be something else in here with us. They heard some strange noises down from the basement. They couldn't quite figure out what was going on. But they found this guy who would be hanging out outside, and, and he only referred to himself as Jeremy. And they figured that Jeremy lived next door. But Jeremy didn't live next door. Jeremy lived in the basement. And the best they could figure, he had been there for at least 30 days. Even maybe had been there when the, the former residents were there before the new group moved in. And then there's a story out of Japan where a man found a woman living in an unused closet in his home who had been there for almost a year right? So stories like that, you'll think twice next time you hear some weird noise in the basement or the attic, won't you? Like, man, I heard about this in church. But, but here's what these stories prove. But when somebody else is in there, there will be enough activity. Eventually, you're going to know it, that you're not the only one in the place. They can't live there very long, without you noticing that there's somebody else in there. But listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. If he's in there, you'll know it. So that passage is interesting because Jesus talks about two groups of people who are in the world. The first group of people are a group of people that even though the Holy Spirit is in the world and he is working in the world, they don't even notice it. They don't see him. They don't know him. He says, because these people don't receive him. And then he says, there's another group of people in the world who know Jesus, who he says, man, they, you'll know the Holy Spirit. You'll know him because he'll be in you and he will dwell with you. So my question to you is this, which group of people do you belong to? Do you know the Holy Spirit and does he dwell in you? 
Over the next several weeks, I'm gonna be talking about the Holy Spirit, using several passages of scripture for us to understand who he is and what he does. And this is gonna kind of go along with our Experiencing God study that we're doing on Wednesday night. So those of you that are doing that, man, I'd really encourage you to tune into the series that we're doing on Sundays. But it'll also help us to understand what God's doing here at Liberty. Some of the activity that we see going on, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And man, I want you eventually to be able to see it because you know him and because he dwells in you. And so today, let's introduce the Holy Spirit simply by asking this question, do you know him and does he dwell in you? So the first thing we ought to say about the Holy Spirit of God is this, is he is not an impersonal force. Because whenever we hear something like this, we think about things that we're familiar with, like pseudo-religions, maybe mysticisms and all these, these sorts of things, the power of positive thinking or getting in touch with these forces in nature or the secret, uh, the spiritual secret of living or anything like that. And these kind of things make their way into some of our favorite stories, into some of our favorite movies. You know, Harry Potter, you've got this mysticism and all this this different kind of stuff that they're tapping into and these powers that they're trying to master and manipulate. I'm an old dude, so I come from the Star Wars era, right, where, where Luke is always told, hey, use the force, Luke. But the, the, the force is impersonal, and he's trying to get to know it, and he's trying to master it, and he's trying to manipulate it. The Holy Spirit is nothing like any of that. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about trying to master some sort of force that's in the universe in Jesus' name. We're not trying to Christianize mysticism. It's, this is a completely different thing that we're talking about than anything else that you're familiar with because, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a living being. He is a living being. Notice when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he's not referred to him as it. He refers to him personally with him and he. Listen again what Jesus says. The world, talking about the world, he says he neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So understand this is not something for you to master. This is someone for you to know. The second thing we would say about that is the Holy Spirit is God. Because notice when Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he doesn't say he will give you a helper. Notice the word there is another. In other words, of the same quality as myself. I've been your helper. I've been your counsel. I've been your guide. I've been your teacher. But I'm going away, but I'm going to send another one to you, right? So he's of the same quality of Jesus. And then notice if you read on down from verse 18 and following, and we'll get into this later in the series, Jesus says, it's not just going to be the Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. And he talks about also in this passage that it is the Father that's in them. So understand this, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus Christ, they are all equally the same. Three parts of the Trinity, all equally God. The Holy Spirit is no less than God. He is God. He says, I'll send you not a helper, but another helper 
who will be God in you. And we're going to talk about all that in in the future, but here's where I kind of want to sit down today. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Powerful. Notice that Jesus says, if you back up to uh, verse uh, 12, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Think, Think about the things that Jesus did the miracles he performed, the power that he had, that he displayed. He said that you'll do the works that I do, and if that weren't enough, look at this, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Man, that is power right there. So let's talk about that power of the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, you see the power of the Holy Spirit in in two really kind of big categorical ways. The first one is, I would say you see the power of the Holy Spirit as creative power. So let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter one. Let's go to the second verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter one and verse two. Genesis chapter one, one, we have this astounding statement that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We get that. But the very next sentence, you can't describe any situation any worse than the second sentence of the Bible. It doesn't get any worse than this. Look at this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form. It means it's chaotic. There's no order. There's, you can make no sense of what is there. The word void means it's a wasteland. It's useless. There's nothing to work with. Darkness means it's veiled, it's in secret. You can't see it clearly. You can't discern it. You can't even begin to to think about it because you really can't tell what you're looking at. And then it also the face of the deep, the abyss. And the ancients believed that the evil things came out of the abyss. It's it's hopeless. It's it's formless. It's chaotic. It's dark. It's deep. It's empty. There's No potential there. And then look at this. This is a sentence number three in the Bible is absolutely remarkable. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That statement is amazing for a couple of reasons. Number one, it tells you that the Spirit of God does not come like all other spirits, the ancients thought, out of the abyss. He doesn't come out of it. He's over it. The other thing that's amazing about this is he's not threatened by it. He is sovereign over it. All this this chaotic, this darkness, man, it is nothing to him. And then I love this idea right here. He is hovering over the face of the waters. It's a picture of an eagle beginning to to stir up the nest. Those big, powerful wings are, are watching over the young. And man, that eagle, when it begins to move, it is impressive, it is powerful. Something is about to change. And all the way through Scripture, when you see the power of the Holy Spirit come upon otherwise formless, chaotic, dark, empty situations, things are about to move by great power. And I want you to think about how, the, how God created the world because this is the pattern, y'all, for everything. If you can get this, you can understand the, the entire rest of the Bible. How did God create the world? By his word. Day by day, he 
spoke and what he says by the power of the Holy Spirit manifests itself. Let there be light. And then there's land and the separation of the waters and then the living things and all those sorts of things. Day by day, by the word of God applied to the situation, God brings life out of chaos, right? That's the way the Holy Spirit of God works. That's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14. Hey, all these things you see me doing, I'm just, it's not from me. It's from the Father. He's speaking to me. I'm just telling you. I see him work. I'm just doing that. Man, it is following what God would have us to do every single day. And then here's the next question. How does every day of creation end? You remember the words? It was good. And every single day that ends, it was good, stands in contrast to this void, formless, deep chaos, the darkness that we see, the hopelessness of that, and only the Spirit of God can do that. That power explains Jesus' sovereignty over nature, right? Remember, he's in a storm. Doesn't worry him. He takes a nap. He wakes up. He just says, peace be still, man, and the wind ceases. It obeys his voice. Think about the sovereign power of Jesus demonstrating healing diseases and raising the dead and in, in, uh, in even making the blind to see. One of my favorite stories is, is when he takes that dust. There's a blind man. And he takes the dust to the ground and he spits on it. But remember how God formed man? Everything else he formed by his word. But there's only one thing he, he actually took the time to, to form with his hands. It was man. It was us. And the Bible says that he forms us from the dust of the ground. So I imagine that when Jesus took that dust into his hands, into the creator's hand, and he spit on it, and he rubbed it on that guy's eyes, and he told him to go wash in the pool. I, this is just me. I can't prove it. But I don't believe he healed that guy's eyes. I believe that he created new ones. He gave him something he had never had before, man. He is the creator. And every day he works that way. Now listen, think about this in your life. A person who has the Holy Spirit... How many situations in your life feel like they're dark? They're formless. They're chaotic. They have no potential. A person who has the Holy Spirit of God knows that they can pray to a God with whom all things are possible. They have something inside of them that is guiding them, telling them, man, you take my word. You do today what I want you to do today and see the good that I will bring out of that. That's the pattern all the way through Scripture. We don't go do what we want to do, and God says that's good. Man, we do what He wants us to do, revealed in His Word, guided by His Spirit, and when we do that, man, we bring things to life through His power, and it's good. Creative power. And then there's also, in the Bible, redemptive power. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. And I think Isaiah 61 explains a lot of what you see of the activity of God at Liberty Baptist Church right now. So remember in Genesis chapter 1, we have four words to describe what the world is like before God gets actively involved. 
In Isaiah 61, we have four words that describe what has gone wrong with the world and what happens to people living under the curse of sin. Hey, sin brings everything back into chaos. Sin makes everything useless, wasted, formless. And so in Isaiah 61, you have four words to describe the victims that we have become in sin. Listen to this. He says, I'm going to bring good news to the poor. The poor means they have nothing to contribute. They're broke. The next thing is they're brokenhearted. He says, he sent sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. They are emotionally, spiritually busted. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives. Man, these people have lost their freedom. The decisions are being made for them. And then the last person is living with the consequences. He says, and proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Those four words describe a person who cannot contribute to the redemption of their own situation. They have no resources. They have no emotions. They have no spirit. They are living in the consequences. And man, somebody else, something else is every day telling them what they have to do. But then here comes the Spirit of God. Look at this, Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And that's Jesus ultimately. Because the Lord has anointed me. And look at what he does. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Binding means it, it, it provides a place it begins to heal. To proclaim liberty to the captives, man, he begins to bring freedom in their life. He begins to bring a new set of circumstances and decisions into their situation. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Only he can do that. And that is redemptive power. So I want you to look at that passage right there, church. And I want you to ask this question. How, how much does that describe our community? Broke? busted, captive, and imprisoned. Only Christ can work in a situation like that through his spirit in a powerful way to bring about redemption. And I believe that's one of the things when you see activity in this church, I believe you're seeing the Holy Spirit of God manifested in those things. When the Holy Spirit comes into a situation, everything begins to powerfully change. Listen to Psalm 104. We, we read it or prayed through it at the beginning of the service today. Listen to this. And think about this. Again, you, you see this pattern of God speaking, the Spirit moving, things begin changing. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. Man, we're relying on the Lord. We don't do it for him and ask him to bless it. Lord, we need to know what, what you're going to give, what you're going to, what is this season? When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. Here's the contrast. And you'll see Genesis 1-2 in this. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. There's the chaos. There's the darkness. There's the confusion. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. But verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Listen, y'all. The Bible sends a very clear message that what we do in this community, that what happens in this church, what's going on in your life, 
Listen, it's not all about you and me. We don't rely on our talent. We don't rely on our resources. We don't program what we want to see happen and take a shot at it and see what happens. Listen, we need to look for everything to come to the Lord because the Bible sends a very clear message. Nothing changes without his power. He's got to send forth his spirit. And when he sends forth his spirit, everything changes. Now, let's go back to John chapter 14. And put yourself in the place of the apostles as Jesus is speaking this into their lives. These are Jewish men, so they've been trained in the Scripture. They know the Bible fairly well. They understand the creation story I just read to you. They're looking forward to the Isaiah 1, anointed one, who's going to change everything in their broken lives and their broken situation. They're familiar with those passages. And I want you to take the context of the familiarity of the Spirit of God coming into that situation, and I want you to think about what Jesus is telling them now. That Spirit, when I leave, He's going to be in you. And you're going to know Him. And He's not leaving. He's going to dwell with you forever, and you're going to do greater works than you've even seen me do. So put yourselves in their shoes, and then I want to ask you two questions. First question is this. If you are listening to that, what Jesus is saying, would you envision the life you're currently living, particularly your relationship with the Lord like it is right now? If you are listening to what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14, would you envision the life you're living particularly your relationship with the Lord as it is right now. Question number two. If you are listening to what Jesus is saying, understanding that power of the Holy Spirit that he's going to put in them, would you envision the church much like you see the church in America right now? I wouldn't. If you're listening to John 14, would you look around you and see this. In your mind's eye, would you imagine this with that kind of power, creative power, redemptive power that he says is going to be in you. I don't imagine what we have right now. I imagine something more, something real, something powerful, something different, something that is not of the manipulation of people or the programming of leaders. But man, it is a move of God. So notice verse 15. He says, if you love me, you, and what's the next word? It's not might. It's not you'll take a shot, right? Look at this next word. He says, you will. Keep my commandments. Man, that's the demands of Christianity, isn't it? And I think there's every single one of us are, are saying, man, I'd love to, I'd love, man, I'd love to know him. I'd, I'd love to love him. I want to keep his commandments. It's not that I'm not trying, but he says, man, you will keep my commandments. But understand this, the demands of Christianity are far too burdensome without the Holy Spirit. They're way too much. There's no way you can, 
You can't be that without the Holy Spirit of God, to love Him and keep His commandments. No way. And I would submit this to you, that Christianity is far too boring without the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, y'all, what are we doing here? Without the Holy Spirit of God, this is a cult for weak-minded, bored people. That's what this is. People got to be thinking, what are you doing? You're wasting time on a Sunday morning when you could be doing so many other things. What are you giving your money? You give your money to that? What? Y'all, without the Holy Spirit of God, this is weird. Without the Holy Spirit of God, the demands of Christianity are far too burdensome. And Christianity without the Holy Spirit of God is far too boring for me to stick with it at least. Maybe you won't admit that, but I'm there. But y'all, with the Holy Spirit of God, things that are otherwise formless, void, dark, broken, busted, captive, man, everything finds new life and power. Wow. So Jesus said, you'll know him if he dwells in you. So here's my question. Does he dwell in you, the Holy Spirit of God, and do you know him? And if you're struggling to answer that, I would think you probably, you may fall into one of two places. One, you may fall into the place where you're like, okay, there's some things happening I'm kind of like the guy in the house. There's some drawers open. There's some doors left open. There's some, there's some things I know are different, and it's unusual. There's some things going on, but I'm just not quite sure who this is. Well, take comfort. We're going we're gonna to help you get to know the Holy Spirit of God because the Lord wants you to know him if he's in you. But you want to see some activity, right? And, and man, this is so unusual, and the Holy Spirit is so different from anything else that we see in the world. And and I love what Francis Chan says about this. So he wrote a, a great book about the Holy Spirit. It's called Forgotten God. And when I read this, I thought Francis Chan is much like my daughter Kylie because if anybody is going to come up with a weird thought, who is that in your family? And all of a sudden they just spout out things. And it's like, wow, how in the world do you think about that, right? That's Kylie at our house. So Francis Chan must be much like my daughter Kylie because he says, years ago when a random thought came into my head, I decided to share it with my wife. Here it is. Have you ever wondered what caterpillars think about? <laughs> that is a Kylie question if I've ever heard one. So he said, I asked, and she said, no. I then proceeded to tell her about the confusion I imagined a caterpillar must experience. For all its caterpillar life, it crawls around a small patch of dirt up and down a few plants. Then one day, it takes a nap, a long nap. And then, what in the world must go through its head when it wakes up to discover it can fly? What happened to its dirty, plump, little worm body? What does it think when it gets this new, tiny, sleek body and gorgeous wings? As believers, we ought to experience this same kind of astonishment when the Holy Spirit enters our bodies. We should be stunned in disbelief over becoming a new creation with the Spirit living in us. As the caterpillar finds its new ability to fly, 
we should be thrilled over our spirit-empowered ability to live differently and faithfully. Isn't this what the scriptures speak of? Isn't that what we've all been longing for? Yeah. Yeah. The demands of Christianity are far too burdensome, and all of this is way too boring without the Holy Spirit of God. So maybe you see some activity, and man, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to help you see the wonder of these new wings that you got. You don't quite know what to do with. So hang with the series. But number two is this. If you're asking that question, do you know the Holy Spirit, and you're saying, man, there's nothing in me. There's no one in me. I'm not living the burdens, the demands of Christianity, not because they're too burdensome, man, it's because I don't love God. I don't have that life if it's otherwise formless and void and it's dark in there and I'm captive and I'm in prison and I'm broken and I'm busted. And man, I need life. What do I do? The answer to that question comes in Acts chapter two. Because this is one of those marquee moments when the Holy Spirit of God begins to move and to hover over a situation. And he does, as Jesus promised, he fills the believers, the disciples, and they go out there and they start preaching. And the church is born. Miraculous signs and wonders. They, they begin preaching in tongues that, that are, are other languages. And everybody is hearing the preaching in their own tongue. And so they point people to Jesus. They, they man, this guy who you just crucified, this was the son of God. He, he was the savior. And they hear this and the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and I hope it's the question you're asking now, brothers, what should we do? If I realize I don't have the Holy Spirit, if I realize I'm not saved, what do I do? Here's your answer. Peter said to them, verse 38, repent. Repent of your self-sufficiency. Repent of trying to do it all yourself. Repent of doing it your own way. Repent of your sin. Repent of your unbelief. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then listen to this promise God gives you today. And you, not might, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a wonderful promise the Savior has given us. He'll dwell with you. He'll be in you. You'll know him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment as we think about this? So I'm going to give you about a verse and a chorus of an invitation. Some of you men, Lord's asking you some things in your life. He's speaking to you through this. Maybe it's, it's not anything we've talked about today, but boy, there's some things that, that you just really need to lay before the Lord. You come up to one of these altars and you grab it and you pray and you give it to God. You cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Maybe you want to pray about this. Lord, I've noticed some activity in my life. I've seen some things in the church. Help me to make sense of it. I, okay, I get it. There's, there's someone else here. Help me to know you, Holy Spirit. Pray to him. He's not a force to be mastered. He is a being to know and to relate to. He's not an it. He's a him. Holy Spirit, help us to get to know you. Come and pray that with him today.
But if you're here this morning, you say, I don't know Christ as my Savior. There'll be some people who just come down here and they'll just stand. They, they're not going to kneel. They're just going to stand. You walk up to one of them. They'll take you off to the side. They'll take the word of God and they'll show you how to repent, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and to be saved and receive the Holy Spirit of God. Guys, you can't do this through religion. You can't do this just because you come to church. You can't even get this just because you agree with what you heard today. Man, the Holy Spirit of God has got to indwell you for you to really get it, what God's trying to do. So Holy, Holy Father God, we come before you this morning. Holy Spirit, we are asking you to help us to know you to get away from this burdensome form of Christianity that is just empty religion. Because we don't love you if we're trying to do all this without the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, help us to love you through your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you help us to experience you, make it really exciting, not just boring church stuff, God, but help us to see movement in an otherwise void, dark formless wasteland of a town where sin is wreaking havoc, where drugs are running rampant, where students, Lord, are taking their own lives. Lord, there's students that are that are just bouncing from house to house, from school to school, just looking for a place to land, looking for hope. God, there's so much wasteland in this community because of sin. And so, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, move through Liberty Baptist Church in an Isaiah 61 way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? The Lord's calling you to come.